When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Welcome back to the Leaving Eden podcast. I am Gavrielle Hakoen. Hi, I'm Sadie Carpenter. And we are here to talk about Sadie's life in the independent fundamental Baptist cult. We are here to educate and inform listeners about this cult and promote freedom of mind, freedom of thought, and freedom of religion. This episode is the conclusion of our five-part series on the first family of fundamentalism. So over these five episodes, we've taken a deep dive into the lives and the scandals of Jack Hiles and Jack Scott, and analyzed how these men affected not just my life, but also the lives of people around me and the modern independent Baptist movement as a whole. And so if you enjoy this content, you can subscribe to our Patreon where we have bonus content, including show outtakes. And if you don't want to join the Patreon for whatever reason, you can support us in other ways, like recommending this podcast to your friends, family, coworkers. You know, we're trying to grow our audience, raise awareness about the real and present danger that the IFB and other cult groups presents to society as a whole. So maybe, you know, if you like other podcasts, then maybe, you know, interview podcasts and you can write to the host and say, you know, leaving Eden podcast, those guys would be great guests. They're really interesting and, you know, help get the word out in any way that you can. Anyway, now that I'm done with that spiel. Uh, so when we last left our story, Jack Howe's son-in-law, Jack Scop, had taken over control of the First Baptist Church of Hammond following Jack Howe's death. And he'd gotten into a bit of trouble through various controversies, namely some big otaku thing about Bible translations, but also some bizarrely sexual perversions of Bible verses that signify the church taking greater sexual control over its congregants. Most of what we will discuss in this episode takes place in 2012. 
But before we do that, we need to discuss one particular day in July of 2010, because there is one particular day that really demonstrates better than anything else just how off the rails Scop had gone. So we've mentioned this sermon before, I think, in the dating episode. Yeah. So actually, I tend to mention this sermon a lot uh, just because at this point, the awfulness of it has kind of worn off through repeated exposure. And now it just makes me laugh. We are, of course, referring to the famous polished shaft sermon. Yes. And after five entire episodes, we are almost at the point where we're going to talk about it. But if we can just back up a couple hours, I want to talk about America, America first. If we can. So what's America, America? Is America, America that uh, Hiles Anderson college tour group album that you made me listen to that was entirely choral renditions of patriotic American songs? Okay, so so that album would have been songs that were sung before this sermon, maybe. Oh, okay. So so this sermon... Um, it's saying, I'm a Yankee Doodle Dandy. Yeah, I'm... <laughs> oh, I, I, I'm so glad I made you listen to that. That was great. So, so this sermon, though... I heard it for the first time on the same day that I heard the Paula Shaft sermon for the first time. So just before this and Paula Shaft were two sermons that Scott preached often. They were like his rock star sermons. This America America, though, is the one where Scott told all of us that Russia and North Korea were going to bomb us and kill us all every day unless all of us <laughs> prayed for mercy for at least an hour a day. Uh, this sermon is a reason that I am still incredibly paranoid about nuclear warfare. Yeah, so, okay, so I... (laughs) Are you okay? I'm fine. So this sermon is the reason that I know, like, the precise number of megatons in a bomb would have to be that if it landed at Lloyd Center, would I die from the blast or would I die from the radiation? Because I know exactly how far I live from Lloyd Center and I know exactly how many megatons it would take for me to get killed in the blast. This sermon is why I am so manically paranoid about nuclear warfare, because I was convinced as a teenager that it was going to happen any day. Wow, so that's I'm fun. That, I'm glad that you weren't raised in the 1980s. Yeah. The 70s. <laughs> yeah. The- <laughs> I feel like that could have been worse. So also in the same sermon, though, Scop made us watch a video of aborted fetuses. Um, and then he had like a child's oh. voice singing Jesus Loves Me in like the background of the video. Oh. So that was so that's traumatic um, because if you, you've ever seen a picture of that, it's not particularly no, but like pretty. the child singing yeah with ch- a ch- children singing anything sounds like creepy as hell yeah, and you've got this little children you know jesus loves me this i know oh. and like showing us these like horribly violent gory like like piles of fetuses like piles and I, uh. so freaking traumatic um so scop has during that like part of his sermon. And there's kids as young as 12 and 13 in in this room, by the way, which is just messed up. Um, So he's got these big TV cameras, you know, that he uses to put things up on the on the big screens. So he's making the big TV. He's got like a split screen thing going the way I remember it. So the the horrible like the aborted fetuses are, are on one side of the split screen and the other side of the split screen. He's making the cameras follow anybody who's running out of the room or anybody who's throwing up in the aisle. And then he's like yelling at them from the pulpit. So I, I remember this one girl was just throwing up all over herself. And he had he made her sit down and watch the end of the video 
What the fuck, dude? That's insane. Yeah, so... Bitch, what the fuck? <laughs> so this is my uh, childhood. Oh, <laughs> what? And, 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 and y'all, you know, I guess listeners will probably notice that I'm like kind of giggling about this. And um, this, this is a common reaction that I have to talking about like the most traumatic moments of my life. Um, because I, I cope with these things through dark humor. So if you ever hear me, you laugh- make a great Jew. <laughs> Thank you. I take that as a compliment coming from you. No, like that's, that's like the entirety of, of our existence is terrible stuff happening. And then we joke about it. I mean, I think yeah. that, that makes sense <laughs> to me. And you know, this, this, these these things that are so dark that I like kind of automatically start giggling when I talk about them. Like that is, that is an incredibly traumatic moment that I still have nightmares about. And it has been 11 years. And, um, well, you know, I think to me, the healthiest way to cope with that is kind of to, to joke a little bit. Anyway, uh, listeners, if you hear me laughing when I'm talking about incredibly dark topics, that's why. Anyway, I bring this sermon up for two specific reasons. So the first one is a lot of times I don't like to talk about specific abusive and traumatic things that happen to me personally, uh, because there are, I'm not here to make my entire podcast about calling out individuals who like, who were abusive towards me. Not entirely. We we will get to that stuff eventually. So if you're listening and you did that, <laughs> I guess what I'm saying is that your day will come. <laughs> I, my this is you know I don't have a podcast for the purpose of calling people out. So it's not something that I that I want to do on every episode. Or but that doesn't mean we won't. <laughs> <laughs> True. Anyway, this is something that I think clearly like left major psychological scars. This was done by somebody that. That I don't mind calling out by name publicly because, yeah, Jack Scott did that because he's a jerk. <laughs> um, the other reason I wanted to bring this up, though, is that I think it's hugely important to demonstrate the state of mind that I was in a couple of hours later when I saw the Paula Shaft sermon. Gabrielle, I know it's kind of your place on this show to like make these kind of connections between my stories, but I was researching for this episode and I came up with an episode with a I came up with a connection of my own. So if you don't Ooh. mind, <laughs> please illuminate, please enlighten us. I'm excited to hear this. So seeing Scott preach America, America, as I've said, was it was just massively traumatic. So the schedule on this particular day in July of 2010, the schedule was like he preached America, America. And then we went to lunch. I'm sure that lunch was enjoyable. I didn't eat. I, I wouldn't have either. No, I kind of just sat and stared up at the sky and wondered if I was going to see a nuclear bomb fall out of the sky. Uh, yeah, uh, just feeling like like completely shell shocked from what I've seen. Uh, but yeah, we had America, America, and then we had lunch, and then like somebody else preached after lunch, and then Scott came back to close out youth conference with the Polish Shaft sermon. So it was not really very usual for him to preach twice in the same day, especially not that close to each other. If you think of Scott as like the headliner of this concert, it would be like if the headliner played and then two other bands came on and then the headliner came back on. <clears throat> so that was a little, a little unusual. And now that I'm thinking more critically about this whole situation, I, I think about how fragile I was on that day after hearing America, America. So what I'm wondering now is like, was this potentially on purpose? Because would if someone wanted to perform a lewd act in front of thousands of teenagers, 
maybe would that person be benefited by placing those teenagers into an emotional, fearful, fragile state just a few hours before performing said lewd act? That makes perfect sense, though. Like he starts out with a sermon where he punishes you if you have any negative reaction to what he's doing just to prepare you for a highly objectionable sermon where he's going to do a bunch of stuff that if in anyone in their right mind would have a negative reaction to. Right. So anyway, now that we've set the stage, do you think it's time to finally talk about the famous polished shaft sermon? Absolutely. Usually I would like put in an audio clip of the sermon, but in this situation, the audio itself really just doesn't do it justice. Like you have to watch the clip to get what we're talking about. Like I've in, I've included the video of this in the show notes, so we'll describe it or, you know, you can go watch it if you've got the chance. So Sadie. Yes. Would you like to describe for us what it was that you witnessed? So, like I said, um, the Paula Shaft was one of uh, Scop's rock star sermons. So the term within the IFB is actually sugar stick sermons, but I'm sorry, I cannot say polished shaft and sugar stick in the same sentence with a straight face. And I'm sorry about that. <laughs> Can't do it. <laughs> well, speaking of, speaking of rock stars, though, I feel like sugar stick sounds like the name of like an 80s hair metal band, like White Snake or Poison. Oh, so hearing like polished shaft in person would have been like seeing here I go again on my own or like every rose has its thorn live. Let's do every rose has its thorn. I'm a poison fan. I can get with poison. Yeah, dude, that song, that song rocks pretty hard. But you're you're absolutely on the right track, though, because this is a sermon that Scob had preached like, who knows, dozens of times, maybe hundreds of times at youth conferences around the country and like at Hiles Anderson's chapel. In this sermon, he, he kind of preached it pretty much the same way every time. Uh, he talks about the concept of someone who's making an arrow. So what they do is they take a stick and they strip off the bark and then they put the stick in a fire to heat it. And then they shape it to be a straight arrow. And then they have to put it back in the fire to heat it. They like wet it and heat it and, and straighten it. And that's how you make an arrow out of wood. If you're like somebody who can't just buy them from the store. So for over 20 years, Scott had preached this sermon pretty much the same way. So he talked about how the analogy that he made is like for the arrow, this shaping process is painful because there's like heat and there's stretching and there's in a person that would be painful. So he made the analogy to like the arrow getting straightened out so it can be a good arrow is the same as God making you what you should be so you can be the best Christian possible. To me, on the surface, that doesn't sound particularly insidious. This is a very normal IFB sermon. Right. Yeah. Like, like God shape you, like God use you as a tool, whatever. That's pretty standard IFB doctrine. Yeah. But as the, as the years go on, you know, Scott preaching this sermon in 1979 and him preaching it in the mid 90s and him preaching it in 2010 are very different things. And by the time we get to 2010, Scop is like giving the arrow more personification and, and talking like in the voice of the arrow and the voice of God. And on this one particular day, instead of holding the arrow kind of at chest height, when demonstrating the straightening process, Scott, for some reason, decided to hold it around belt height, if that makes sense. Yeah. So when I first saw this video, I thought that he was 
polishing a golf club while imitating Jonah Hill in Superbad. So that's actually a really good description. <laughs> so he, he gives this arrow a voice and he's like complaining on its behalf, which is an illustration of how we complain to God about things that God sends for our own good. Uh, but on this day, the complaints became kind of like pants and moans. And then he imitates God's voice. And I don't know. How do I describe this? So it looks like he's stroking it, guys. Like, I mean, there, there's no other way to say it. Like, before I compared Jack Scott giving this sermon to White Snake or like Poison, but maybe instead I should have compared it to Billy Squire. Honestly, though, the hand motions are not, that's not what grosses me out. Like, it's the voices. It's like the panting and the moans and like, like, he does this like sexy voice for God. It's, t- it's so bad. It's it's so bad. It's the voice. Like I can watch the hand motions and it's not that gross. It's it's the voices, man. So you know how like like we talked about earlier, his doctrine is all about God being actively involved in our sexuality. Yeah. So in this sermon, it sounds like he's literally imitating God <laughs> being actively involved in our sexuality. Yeah, I mean, or at least in it's Scott's personal <laughs> personal sexuality. Yeah. Uh, on a stage in uh, front of 10,000 teenagers ew. with a dozen assistant pastors sitting behind them, uh, sitting right behind him on the platform, including his own son-in-law. So that's fun. Mm. Uh, if you watch the video, you can absolutely see that some of these guys on the platform are struggling with whether they should stand up and stop him. Like you could see it on their face and then no one does. It's wild. This video is hilarious. I like, I must have watched this video eight or 10 times. Like you sent it to me. You're like, oh, this is the guy. I'm like, what? (laughs) It's It's straight up one of the funniest things I have ever seen. Of course, I wasn't there. I thought like you sent this to me. I'm like, this man can't be serious. And I was like, no, dude, I was there. I was 16 and I was there. And all of these, all of these old dudes are like, you know, that meme of like Nick Young, where he is like looking sideways, like cockeyed at the camera, like with the question marks next to him. They, like, and they look so confused. It's the funniest thing. Yeah. Um, so just from personal experience, um, if you're ever at a party and you decide to play this video for a bunch of drunk people who have never heard of the IFB. This is the best way to introduce <laughs> people to the fact that you were raised. In- <laughs> so this is actually what I do about half the time. And you're either going to get like the best reaction ever or you're going to completely kill the party. It's it's one of the no in between. <laughs> there is no in between. It is going to be one of those two extremes. But showing this video to drunk people. People is pretty reliably hilarious. Um, this is why you don't hand me the aux cord or the YouTube, the remote that controls the YouTube. We're gonna get polished shaft, <laughs> but uh, but at the time, music to polish your shaft to. Oh oh, that's our radio show. <laughs> okay, <laughs> but uh, when I when I actually saw this in person, I was a, a very sheltered sixteen year old, and by sheltered, I mean I had no idea what I was saying. So I felt this this like air of uncomfortableness just descend over the auditory. It was like the it was like the humidity in the room rose by fifty percent. It was Ugh. like Oy it vey. was like the atmosphere just got heavy. Like it was almost hard to breathe. I don't know if that like some people who are a different type of Christian than me might tell you that it was like an evil spirit in there. And honestly, I wouldn't fight him. There was there was something in that room and it was weird. But I didn't know. Mm. I didn't know. 
like what I was looking at. And I just knew that, you know, the people around me, their faces are getting red. And I knew that something like kind of like being a really little kid and watching a sitcom and people are laughing and you don't know why they're laughing. I knew something was going over my head and I couldn't figure out what it was. And I knew that people around me were uncomfortable and I couldn't figure out why. It was a strange situation to be in. So you didn't know that you were watching a 50-year-old man simulate masturbation in front of a crowd of teenagers? No. Like, I believe it or not, I had no idea what I was seeing. I just knew that this felt weird and this felt wrong. <clears throat> so it's just a couple months after this experience that I'm at the Lady Spectacular that I told you about in the last Scop episode, where he spoke specifically to all the teenage girls about dress code in a very gross way. Yeah, so like all of this is going on, and this is 2010, uh, but Scott continues as pastor. And so we're, we're at fall of 2011 when I start my freshman year at Hiles Anderson. So you didn't know that like one year later is when things would really start to go. Right. So I go in for my freshman year, and it's like a ticking time bomb situation. By the time I started school in September of 2011, there was actually less than 11 months until a scander, scandal bigger than Hiles Nistrick, bigger than anything Dave ha- had ever done, was going to break. So there is one story that really needs to be told from my freshman year. Uh, the specific reason I want to tell it today is because this is something that I don't think has ever been told on the internet at large before. So I really think okay. it should be here. Well, go for okay. it. So my freshman year, I did interact with Scop a good bit. And this is when I feel like I was close enough to see some cracks that other people might not have seen. So there's just a couple important points for this setup. Uh, Scott had built himself a very fancy and expensive new office at Hiles Anderson. So it was under construction most of my freshman year. So he was on campus a lot because he was dealing with the construction of that office. And he was also very, very, very buddy-buddy with the freshman students at Hiles Anderson. So I saw him a lot and I noticed that he had gained a lot of weight in the fall and winter. And then he dropped it all very, very suddenly in the spring. Like his weight fluctuated a lot during that year. And I've had meals with him, like with my my family and him before. And I know that he has claimed to have food allergies. He's claimed at times to have Crohn's or UC. He kind of wavered on what exactly it was he had. But he was always kind of claiming these vague health issues. So here's the big story I have for you, though. And this is something, as far as I know, this is a Leaving Eden exclusive, I guess. So this is something that happened to me in Christian womanhood class, and this would have been in the spring of 2012. So what happened? So Cindy Scop had come in to teach a Christian womanhood class. And she's his wife. This is Jack Jack Scop's wife, uh, Jack Hiles' daughter. She had, uh, she had come in, like, she would come teach Christian womanhood classes whenever she had a chance to. And she's talking about marriage, which is something that she and Jack Scott were supposedly really big experts on, because you remember he wrote all those books about marriage. And she gets way off track. She goes off book, and she's talking about something pretty shocking. She tells this like long-winded story about an emotional affair that she had when her children were young with a man in the church. So Kenny was born in 1984. Jacqueline's a little bit older than that. So we're placing this somewhere between like 85 and 1990. So in the middle of all the like the scandals and the battles and everything. So she talks about trying to make sure she sits near him in church and trying to look pretty for church in case she sees this guy. And she's like flirting with him at church and fantasizing about wishing she were married to him instead of to Scott. Wow. Yeah. And she's telling this story to a group of freshman girls. And 
I remember it, it uh, the way I remember it, she suddenly realized that she had said way too much and she started, she like, burst out crying. She tried to backpedal and like cover her tracks a little bit. And then she finally just like dropped her notes on the podium and stormed out of the room crying. So there's like two people from staff, like the dean of women's office in the room that were normally the teachers for this class. One of them barrels out the door after Cindy to try to help with whatever she's got going on. The other lady from the Dean of Women's office steps up to the podium and tries to smooth out what she just said. I got like, I've got to ask, did Jack Scott find out about the or like, do you think that he knew? I don't think that he knew. That's just my perception based on how she told the story. But I, I think and this is just my guess, but I think she freaked out because she realized that this might get back to him. Right, because you guys are always telling on each other. Right, uh, and there were also freshmen. I this is something I'm not going to say a whole lot about. Unfortunately, uh, there are there were freshman girls in the class that had a unusually close relationship with her husband. I do that. That is all I know. So that is all I'm going to say. I'm not going to speculate on that. But there were girls in that classroom who were close to him. So uh, yeah, I think. I think she was afraid he would find out, but that's just my guess. Um, the fact that her emotions were so close to the surface, though, that she could accidentally make this tearful confession to a room full of freshman girls. I think that's a huge sign that there were already problems in the marriage. It's, it's just a guess, but I really think like that's a wow. that's a red flag. No one's ever heard this before if they weren't like in that room. Because I've spoken to other people who were there and... Uh, a lot of people don't remember it as clearly as I do. And I don't I don't know why it impressed on me as particularly as it did. But like I, I know for sure what I remember. You know, with the, the sleep deprivation at Hiles Anderson, people A lot of people don't remember. Right, a lot of things, things slip through the cracks. Um anyway, I have a picture of me with Jack and Cindy Scop around the same time. It's a picture of me. And the friend who took me on a friend date to the Valentine's banquet. Oh, fun. Who says that we can go ahead and post the picture. So I have permission. I'm going to put it up on the Instagram. If anybody knows more than I do about body language, please take a look at that and, and let me know what your opinion is. Uh, actually, I'm just putting a call out to our listeners. Yeah, send us. Yeah, please. I have several pictures that I ne- really need to have a body language expert look at. So if any listeners have studied that, um, shoot us an email. I have some questions. It's just like the picture where of you and Jack Scoff, where it was like a bunch of people at a table and he clearly like moved his chair down so that we, so that he could sit by all of the teenage Yeah, girls. that would be another one of those pictures that needs to have a professional look at. So this incident with, with Cindy and Christian womanhood class happened in the spring of 2012 my best guess is that it was maybe late February, early March of 2012. And February, March is also when I noticed him kind of behaving erratically, losing and gaining weight really quickly. He looked ill. He looked sick. Uh, and so after my freshman year, I went home for the summer of 2012. Dun, dun, dun. Where were you exactly when the, the news of the Jack Scop scandal broke? Or as we're going to call it, the Scapocalypse. Scapocalypse. Yes, I keep trying to say scapocalypse and I keep saying saying scabopolis. <laughs> scabopolis, Frank. See, I'm hearing yeah. uh, I'm hearing Miss I'm hearing Priscopal Skipper and Mrs. Krabappel from you know Ralph Wiggum. Oh man. Priscopal Skipper. <laughs> Super Nintendo Chalmers. Sorry, I'm just hearing Ralph's voice. Anyway, um when this actually broke, 
This tastes like burning. <laughs> I'm in danger. <laughs> okay. So uh, my brothers, my dad and I had thrown a surprise birthday party for my mom on July 31st, 2012. Uh, just the five of us. We had really worked to make a, a nice and it's like, oh, it's over a week before her birthday. So we had like done it really early so we could make sure we pulled off the surprise. Oh, yeah. that's lovely. Uh, my mom is not the person to enjoy being the center of attention. Clearly, I take after my dad a little bit more. <laughs> so, <laughs> so we had... It's not like you had a choice. Yeah, true. Um, so no, so we made a, a formal dinner. We decorated a hall. We baked her a cake. And it's all just, just the five of us, just my family attending. Uh, we totally went all out. Uh, and there's a hallway leading to the room where we had the meal laid out and we had decorated the hallway with pictures of my mom and dad chronologically. We had pulled a lot of like their pictures from college. So it was like, it's, it was Lovely. so cute. It was like this whole like memory hallway. We got celebrities. So we had like, we had the original wonder woman, Linda Carter sign a picture for her. We, we went so out, so all out for this birthday party. Wow. That's yeah. Marvelous. Uh, just to, you know, in case my future kid ever hears this episode, hint, hint. So the part after the party's done, my dad and my mom were going to go out of town, like a little mini getaway, be back the next day. Uh, before my dad left, he turned off the internet router. He made all of us turn off our iPod, like our iPod touches and our cell phones. And he told us, do not talk to anyone until I get back. So at the time, I thought like another 9-11 type thing had happened. I, I had no, I was so terrified. So I reached for my iPod to turn it off. And I saw a Facebook message from an old friend of mine. And it said, did you hear the news about Scop? And I turned my iPod off because the router was already, you know, like my dad had turned off the internet. So there was nothing we could do. So how did you find my out? My parents came home early the next day. Uh, my dad sat us down and told us everything he knew at the time, which was that Scop had been immoral and that he was fired from the church. I have an extremely close relationship with my father. He is one of my best friends. And I feel I really think this is the only time in my life that we've ever had serious conflict. I screamed in his face and told him that he was lying and that Scott was innocent. Just completely just blind rage that my dad would say such a thing. I'm like throwing pillows from the couch at him. And I swear this is the only time I have ever raised my voice at my father. Just completely blew up at him. You were like, you were gone. Gone. Yeah. Wow. Um, yeah. So my dad showed me the email from First Baptist Church of Hammond staff, and I was able to calm down and listen to what he had to say. That's wild. That's really wild right there. But I want to back up a little bit. So when he said Scop had been immoral, what did you think that that meant? So it meant that Scop had some kind of extramarital affair. Uh, and that was all we knew at the time. Uh, over the next few weeks, the truth started to come out in bits and pieces. So at this time, there was no indication that Scott's behavior was in any way illegal. Mm -hmm. And there was no indication that like of the age of the person with whom he'd had the quote unquote affair or that it was in any way abusive or non-consensual. Not like, at the very beginning. No. Uh, no. So as August went on, it came out that what actually happened was that Scott had had sex with a teenage girl that he was supposed to be counseling. And this all came out. Because, surprisingly, the church turned information over to the police. Little uncharacteristic for an IFB church. 
Hmm. Yeah. So I actually dug up a video of the First Baptist Church of Hammond. This is on their YouTube page. Um, uh, the First Baptist Church of Hammond's official response to the Scop firing, um, and it's from August 8, 2012. Uh, this is the one with, if I'm not mistaken, David Gibbs, the lawyer speaking. Yeah, it says the speakers are David Gibbs, Eddie Lupina, and oh, Terry okay, Duff. yeah. So Gibbs is the lawyer. He is the head of the Christian Law Association, which will get its own episode. Uh, Lupina is an old school staff member who took over the pastor job while they looked for someone to replace Scott. He's like one of their big fixers. Uh, and then Duff is the chairman of the deacon board. Yeah, and, and oh, I know okay. that you mentioned that you were not impressed by the suits in this video. <laughs> okay, I, I don't know. That was my first big takeaway from this video. But my second big takeaway was that they didn't seem like they were trying to obfuscate or hide. They seemed like they were going full mea culpa, which says to me that they knew that the police had Scop dead to rights and that any perceived resistance to this would look bad and not just bad, like bad, bad worse than main pastor being found to be a pedophile bad. Like, yeah. There are a couple of factors that I think go into this public admission of guilt, because it is really unusual for an IFB church to admit when wrong has been done. It's so much more common to try to cover this up somehow. And say, oh, well, we're just going to pray on right, this. Right, we're going ch- to discipline this person within the church. And this was an individual moral failing and not a systemic problem. Right. Yeah. Uh, so this is this is definitely unusual. But based on what I know, the reason for the transparency was this. Scop had, and I, I, we are going to use uh, phrases like had sex or had an affair. We are, we understand that this is not consent, cannot be fully consensual. Uh, in some cases, we're yeah, due to the age of the victim. Right, we're we're gonna in some cases use the words that the church used or the words that Scop used. Um, so we're not gonna say it absolutely correctly every time. Just be aware. Scop had had sex with the victim in his office at the church but also in other locations. So some locations in Michigan and one location in Illinois as well. So Scott had asked church staff members to transport the victim from Indiana to these other states. And while they didn't know the purpose of these visits, they could still be legally liable for transporting her across across state lines. According to the official story, they had to be upfront. They had to turn him into the police for there to be a better chance of only Scop going down for this, not those staff members who unknowingly participated. So I just want to call back to what I said last episode about the progression here is that we see Jack Scop taking the First Baptist Church of Hammond from being a place that is abusive and cruel to women to being a place where he is literally using the position, his position in the church to actively abuse young girls, teenage girls, women in general. And he is using church assets and church staff as a means and, quote unquote, unwitting accomplices to these crimes. And I think I can shed a little more light than that, even on this progression of events and also why the church did decide to go for the go to the police. What we need to talk about is the timeline of events that led up to Scott being caught. So was it the church that caught him or was it the police that caught him and then investigated the the church? church who caught him? Here's what's come out over time. Scop was supposed to be counseling the victim, who was a student at Hammond Baptist High School, starting when she was 16 in April of 2012. Scop broke his own rules and his own policy by counseling her alone in his office at the church. 
starting in April of 2012. In June of 2012, the victim turned 17 and Scop was texting her from his personal cell phone for a total of over 600 texts. And in June and July, so it was about a month long before he got caught. June and July of 2012, Scop had sex with the victim in Illinois, in Indiana, and in Michigan, including in his office at the church. She is 17 when, according to both her testimony and the court documents and everything, she is 17 the first time that there that he actually had sex with her, which means that he is in the clear as far as Indiana's age of consent laws go. So this becomes very complicated because Indiana, Illinois, and Michigan have different age of consent laws and they have different laws about somebody who's in a position of power over somebody else. So this the, this is one reason that the church decides to go to the police because it is legally just a, a mess because we've got these three different states. I did want to take a quick break um, to read some of Scop's love letters to the victim. And you haven't heard these yet, I don't think. I haven't heard these yet. Oh, this yet. is going to be I've, fun. I don't know if I want uh, to. Oh. I, I'm just going to do some little, little snippets of it. I won't torture you, I promise. So this is uh, from a birthday card from Scop to the victim. I catch myself smiling when I imagine what will happen the next time we're together. You must be something really special because I can't remember the last time I felt so strongly about someone. Damn, he can pour it on thick. Yeah, and also, like, you're married, bro. You're married and this girl is 17. You, this, 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 That's creepy. This is creepy. And this is from, like, handwritten letters. Um, you can find them online. They're a little hard to dredge up these days because First Baptist Church... We'll have a link. We'll have uh, some We'll links. have so many links. <laughs> Um, so here, let's, let me see. It'd be like an encyclopedia. Okay. So here's the, I'm sorry. This one is probably the worst, but it needs to be in here for a reason. So hit me with these creepy <laughs> pedophile letters. Uh, in our fantasy talk, you have affectionately spoken of being my wife. That is exactly what Christ desires for us. He wants to marry us and become eternal lovers. I tried to craftily catch your heart so that I could lead you into a better life. You have caught my heart, and I have never felt so loved by anyone. Thank you, Jane Doe. Thank you for the privilege of helping a struggling teenager. Thank you for opening your heart. Thank you for your trust. Thank you for your love. So, okay, so this about that's being uh, being my wife. Like that, God wants to marry us and make us eternal lovers. Already married. Yeah, number one, already married. Been married. Have two kids, both of whom are almost twice the age of this poor. Teenager. Uh, yeah. Uh, but this this about um, God wants to marry us and make us eternal lovers. This needs to be talked about briefly. Uh, that is not a Baptist doctrine. That is a Mormon doctrine. Uh, Baptists do not believe. So uh, Baptist beliefs on eternal marriage go back to something that Jesus said. I think it was in Matthew. But Jesus is asked uh, by the Pharisees this question of, there's a woman and she was married to one man and then he died and then she married this other man and he died. And eventually she was married to seven different men and they all died. Uh, who will she be married to in heaven? And Jesus says, uh, in heaven, there is there is no marriage. There is no betrothal. In heaven, we all live as brothers and sisters who love each other under God. This idea of eternal marriage, uh, Baptists hold to that teaching of Jesus. So this idea of eternal marriage is, is a completely anti-Baptist doctrine. It's actually a Mormon doctrine. I mean, but it sounds nice if you write it in a it letter. It sounds nice if, yeah, if you write it in a letter into somebody yeah. who's like, you know, you're trying to abuse. 
Yeah. So further on in the same letter, um, I must follow the example of Christ. I have espoused you to him as a chaste virgin. You are pure and lovely and perfect in his eyes. Which again, this is um, this is this is weird theology, and I wanted to read this because this is not this, Baptist theology. What he is saying to her in that letter is basically like, uh, when I had sex with you, I made you a more holy person, and there's like he's bringing in like this doctrine of eternal marriage, Damn. which is not again. This is not Baptist, and it's not a Christian doctrine. It's a Mormon doctrine. I mean, but it's like that's like a a, a vibe though. I mean, it's not right, a good I mean, vibe. It's, it's, it's a, a romantic thing to vibe, say. But I like, agree, but okay. So I'm, I'm moving. I've I've got to ask. Yeah, Jack Scott is trans is having this girl transported. Did he tell? Like, did he tell the people like that he was just going to like what he was doing? Like, how would it make sense for them to drive her all the way over just the upper Midwest, like Michigan? Illinois, like Indy, like everywhere. Yeah. So Scott has uh, had <laughs> a a forest preserve in Michigan, and nobody but his closest staff knew the exact location. But he would talk from the pulpit a lot about spending many hours a week there in prayer. This is speculation, but I know that the Hiles family had a lake house on Lake Michigan, so I have wondered if it could be that same location. And Scott was just kind of being facetious about this forest preserve that he supposedly bought. Either way, Scott had a cabin and he would go up there at least once a week to pray. So when I was in college, he was telling us that he would go one full day every week to spend in prayer at this forest preserve. On at least one occasion, he told his staff to have the victim join him there at the forest preserve. And he was saying like, oh, we're going to pray together for the whole day. And then he just told his staff that they should trust him. That doesn't sound suspicious at all. When you take so uh, th- on a, on another occasion, he had a staff member take the victim to a a quote unquote girls' day out, like shopping trip, is what he told the victim's parents he was doing with her, uh, with his female staff member, and then he actually had said female staff member bring her to a hotel room that he was staying in. And then he kept her for 36 hours without saying anything to the staff member about where the hell she was. How dumb are these people? So when you look at the you, the court documents, there's text messages from this staff member being like, where is she? And Scott being like, oh, sorry, uh, she fell asleep on the couch. Trust me, I'll sleep in my own room and I'll bring her back to you when she wakes up. So, oh my god these are <laughs> well think about it though go back to Hiles I won't board the door up because my people need to trust me <sighs> does this sound familiar yes this sounds very familiar like who do you think he learned this from oh my god I won't board this door up because my people need to trust me I won't bring this sleeping teenage girl who's on my couch back because my people need to trust me I thought that this door didn't exist this door, that is an untruth. The door doesn't exist, but I won't board it up. <laughs> yeah, wow. the door doesn't exist, but I won't board it up. Yes. Uh, Jack Hiles, ladies and gentlemen. So there there was uh, apparently a staff meeting where some of his staff confronted him about, uh, you're spending an awful lot of time with this young lady. Are you sure you want to be doing that? And apparently he just told them to trust him. Uh, anyway, I'm sure you're wondering how he finally got caught. Yes. Like it did, it did the like it's got to have just been the dumbest way possible. Somebody it like actually totally is. It uh, is a, a a real dumb mistake. 
When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, Gabrielle here. If you enjoy the Leaving Eden podcast, head over to our Facebook group, Eden Exodus, where you can talk to other fans ask us questions, and share memes. That's facebook.com slash Eden Exodus. You can join our Patreon at patreon.com slash Leaving Eden Podcast, and you'll get access to extended and uncensored episodes. You can also support our show by recommending it to your family and your friends. The Leaving Eden Podcast is a fully independent podcast, and we really appreciate your support. And now, back to the show. So Youth Conference 2012 was Tuesday, July 17th through Thursday, July 19th, 2012. Tuesday and Wednesday went more or less as normal. But on Thursday, where Scott would have normally given the big closing sermon, like he did with the Paula Shaft sermon exactly two years prior, Scott was absent. Like somebody else had to preach the closing sermon for Youth Conference. Was he off polishing his shaft? No, well, you know, it's it, that he he might have been by this point because here's what happened. Either Tuesday night or sometime on Wednesday, I think it was Tuesday night based on the evidence that I have. Scott left his cell phone on the pulpit and stepped away and someone saw a photo of him and the victim in a compromising position that was on his cell phone. Mm. So... Best we can figure, she had texted him this picture of the two of them together, or he had texted her this picture of the two of them together, but he had his text messages with her open and didn't lock his phone and stepped away from the pulpit with his phone face up. He wanted to be caught. Yeah, more on that later. Uh, unfortunately, I don't know who was the first person to see the photo because I've heard I've heard it was Terry Duff. I've heard it was another deacon. I've heard some other names being thrown around. Uh, like some some personal assistance of Scops, like the preacher boys of his or whatever. We know that when it was first seen, Youth Conference 2012 was still ongoing. We also know that the victim was in Scops' office during that exact same day. Uh, she, her, his staff was like, "Why do you have this girl in your office during Youth Conference?" And Scop was like, "Oh, she's on her period. She's really tired, so I'm letting her sleep on my couch." Uh, and then while she was sleeping on his couch in his office, there were these compromising pictures of him and her in his office at the church taken uh, either Tuesday or Wednesday. Again, we really think it was Tuesday during youth conference. God. Yeah. 
And I, I've been in that office, which just makes me feel great. You sat on that couch? I have sat on that couch and I was about 16 when I did it. Ew. Yeah. I honestly like cut this for Patreon if you need to, but I think I'd rather sit on the casting couch. I'd be in less danger. <laughs> anyway. Uh, yeah, you're going to have to cut that, but it was Gross. funny. Yeah. That's page, hashtag Patreon content. Either way, uh, the church staff decided not to go to the police immediately. And they also decided not to inform the thousands and thousands of teenagers and youth workers that were currently at the church that day for youth conference. <laughs> so Scott didn't preach. Um, what they did do was cut him off from preaching. So he was supposed to preach to the youth workers on Wednesday morning. He instead kind of rambled on about how great his his works were and then did a question and answer session. Uh, and then he did not preach at all or appear in public on Thursday of youth conference, which adds to my theory that the, the phone incident was Tuesday night was when they saw that. So were people asking questions about his absence? Like, were they like, where's Jack? So you remember me saying that he always claimed that he had um, Crohn's or UC or whatever, different diseases that he would claim at different times. Uh, so the church staff just said he was sick. So staff was at the church all night Thursday night with the Scop family. So basically, Wednesday, Scop is at the college taking pictures with teenage girls in that fancy new office at the college. And I'm trying to get... Per I, I may have one of these pictures. Uh, do not have permission to post it yet, but I'm working on it. Yeah, so Scop is at the college, like, talking to teenagers on Wednesday, even though it's likely that they found this picture on Tuesday. Ew. Uh, and then Thursday, Scop is said to be sick. And then Thursday night, when the conference is officially over, the Scop family, the deacon board, and other church leaders have an all-night meeting at the church. Absolutely all night. After that meeting, the result is that Scop is placed on medical leave for the next two weeks uh, while they do their own internal investigation. And then that's when the official statement of him being fired comes out on July 31st. And then people go to the police like around that time, around the 31st. But uh, so on the 31st, your dad knew. And yeah. so, and and he was pretty involved in the church. But like, did he? So, did he find out before the thirty first, or was he blindsided just like everyone else? I don't have a yes or no answer for that. My dad and my brothers were at the youth conference, and some other really close friends of mine were at this youth conference where all of this was discovered internally. And my dad was is friends with Eddie Lapina, uh, the man you saw in that video. And they were supposed to have lunch together on Friday. Obviously, Eddie canceled lunch. Because yeah. he was up all night at the church meeting. They knew that something was up, but they had no, I, like, my my people wouldn't have any idea what it was. And so Jack Scott didn't try to escape somehow? Like, I find it surprising that they didn't just announce, Jack Scott is going on a missions <laughs> trip to Argentina. You know, like the old David Hiles midnight getaway. <laughs> And then they're going to, like, just pay off the girl's family somehow. So he apparently disappeared for a few days, uh, which leads me to think that he took either his private plane, which he owned, or his motorcycle, or the charger. He had a plane? Yeah, he had a private plane. Uh, he flew to a conference that I saw him at, actually. Uh, he had a private plane. He also had a motorcycle. He also had a charger, like a Dodge Charger, that the church paid for. Dodge Charger, the official car of Back the Blue. Okay, that's that's absolutely true. So I don't know what vehicle Scop took. 
uh, but he had plenty of opportunities and he disappeared for a couple days. For unknown reasons, he eventually came back to face the music. I got to say that I'm low-key proud of First Baptist Church of Hammond because they surpassed the incredibly low bar of turning pedophiles over to the police. Mm -hmm. And I know with them that that isn't a given. So credit where credit is due. (laughs) I mean, I, I agree like that. This is actually the right thing. Yeah, I mean, it took him two weeks, but yeah. Hey, yeah, they did it. They did it eventually. Better than honoring him from the pulpit and having a fundraiser for his legal bills, like they did with Av Ballinger. So, oh yeah. Uh, so news articles start coming out. This story becomes more public. So pretty shortly after that July 31st firing date, uh, I don't know exactly what day the police became involved, but it's right around there. Stuff starts coming out quick. Uh, Just a month later, it's time for me to go back for my sophomore year at Hiles Anderson. Yeah. And so how are you feeling about all of this? Because I know that you were pretty sold out at this point. And so, and and you took the news about Jack Scott's terrible transgressions and abuse pretty hard. Yeah, I was not doing great. I had a boyfriend back at Hiles Anderson, and my parents really did not want me to go back. But I just, nothing made sense. My world was broken. My entire worldview was crumbling to pieces. And I was just, I was so hurt and I was so lost. And all I wanted to do was get back to my friends, back to the place I had been living, back to like my rules that I was used to following and the structure of the schedule at Hiles Anderson. Like I didn't want to think. So like in the normal world, you know, people who hear this kind of news might take a bunch of shots so that they don't have to think, right? Well, at the time, I wasn't open to using any kind of substances other than massive amounts of caffeine. So what I did was go... That's not going to help. No. So I went back to my schedule. I went back to my routine. I went back to what I knew because I didn't want to think. I just I had to just get back to where I knew I thought I was supposed to be. Yeah. So I've got to ask, also, like, because in an earlier episode, we talked about this idea of like all sins being equally bad or whatever. How are you like, how are you comprehending this? Did you see Scop's abuse as like a moral failing and like a, a fall into sinfulness or did you comprehend it as something more insidious like as like an active decision for him to become an like an abuser like an abused uh, or and like an abusive uh, modus operandi i think other pastors i might have seen this as a moment of weakness or like however they want to brand things to make it look better scop though I was furious at him. He was supposed, and like, it wasn't so much of me suspecting him of being a purposeful abuser, but me being so angry at his carelessness. He was supposed to be an expert on marriage. He always bragged and bragged about how good his marriage was to Cindy. That's how you know that things aren't okay. <laughs> I know. I mean, I didn't, bragging about I didn't know Cindy that well, but I just adored her. I, I identified with her in a lot of ways. Uh, we have some personality traits in common. You know, she was one of my college professors, and I was so angry at him for hurting her. Uh, he also, like, I knew that he had broken policy by counseling the victim alone. So it, I wasn't completely willing to accept that he fell into sin because it really looked more like a jump. But either way, this wouldn't have happened if he had kept his own rule. So I was furious at him for putting himself in this situation to begin with. I was furious for him setting up rules that I had to follow, but that he didn't. 
and I was hurt and everyone else around me was just hurt. Uh, the campus was just chaotic that year. There were reporters around the college. There were reporters outside the church all the time. Right. So, like, I mean, what I'm getting at, though, is like, did you see Jack Scop as a disgraced preacher or did you see him as an abuser? I'm not sure really what I thought at the time. I think my own pain and my own anger at him was so huge. I don't think I would have considered that distinction. But what I can tell you is I felt that he had personally hurt me and personally hurt people around me. Interesting. It, was, it felt very personal, just just painful. It was just personally painful. Like, you, I mean, you said it was chaotic. So, like, you get back to school. What are people saying? Or are they are they not saying anything at all about it? Is it like hush hush, or is it like as best as I remember? By the time we got back, everyone knew the basics of what had happened. We never discussed it openly, so no one would talk about it around a lunch table or in public. It was very taboo. But you talk about it in the dorm rooms or something? Yeah, you talk about it yeah. like quietly with close friends. I remember there being a lot of rumors about who the victim was or who found the cell phone. Oh, that's the And like worst. I did end up finding out who the victim was because uh, I had I, I worked in the admissions department. So I had files on all people who had applied to be Hiles Anderson students. And there was one particular file that said, do not call, do not call, do not call this person, do not ever call this person. And I asked somebody I worked with who was a little more in the know than me, like, what's what's going on with this? And uh, my friend who I worked with just kind of went white and she said, don't call that person. So I have that inside knowledge of like what Jane Doe's name is, which of course I would never ever say because I, no, 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 oh no, good no, lord, no, I just no. hope she's living her own life. But that it, like, so, but like <sighs> you could, if you, if you knew who to ask, you could get her name, you could get her birthday, you could get a smidgen more inside information. That's, yeah. But you never talked about it in public. No, ab- absolutely not. Wow. So, like, so you're still engrossed in this culture of, like, piety, of purity, mm-hmm. and, like, modesty. And yet the leadership is openly embroiled in scandal and, like, impropriety and sexual abuse. And, like, surely you have to be seeing in the, like, you have to be seeing the cracks in the narrative that you were raised with. Yeah, this is causing me to question so many things that I had been taught. And I spoke a few minutes ago, though, about my, my huge overreaction to when my dad told me what had happened realizing as as months went by and as I as Scop uh, eventually was arrested and the rest of the story played out I I it, it began to dawn on me that in that moment when I first found out I wanted to believe in Scop's integrity more than my father's and that was a that was a really big wake up call for me because um my dad is my best friend he is the rock of my life uh just just I can't even talk about how yeah i mean you talk about your dad all the time he he yeah. truly is my my best friend and the person i trust you know along with my husband but the person i trust more than anybody else realizing that my that scop's integrity was more important in that moment than my father's integrity that was the first clue that i that maybe i've been brainwashed Maybe something like something is not right here because why would I react to my father like that? Yeah. And I mean, this is so this is like the start of 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 you getting out, of your family getting out. Yeah. Right. And like, I don't, it wasn't like, oh, I think I was wrong. It was like, oh, I think I've been brainwashed. 
that's when this first started to occur to me. They probably know that they're dealing with like a level five emergency. Of course, you know, they're dealing with a level five emergency, (laughs) but like, yeah. So how are they dealing with that? Like internally, what are you hearing from the faculty regarding this? The, the college had already lost hundreds of students over the summer. Uh, so now they were doing everything they could to keep the place afloat. Uh, and I do have, uh, I don't have numerical evidence, but I have very good reason to believe that they were lying about their attendance numbers. Just to, just to throw that in there, because I was working in the admissions department at the time. So knew a few things. Yeah. The day that Scop was arrested, which was early in the fall semester of 2012, there was a announcement made to the entire Hiles Anderson student body. And what's, what might be interesting about that, and, and this is a, this is me speculating again, they gathered us all in the gymnasium. They were going to have like a, um, they had like a, like a field day on the day that Scott got arrested. So instead of having, having classes, we all went out to the gym. We were all like on the football field doing fun little games, you know, like that game where you put an egg in a spoon and you have to carry it across, like put it in the passage to the next part, stuff like that, like elementary school field day stuff. And, and for the announcement of what was going on with Scop, instead of gathering us in the chapel, which is closer to the football field, they gathered us all in the gymnasium. And this is just speculation, but I think it was to make recording audio harder. But interesting. And I think the field day was because there is worse cell phone service on that side of campus. So people couldn't be on their phones between classes getting updates about what was going on in the courtroom. Interesting. Just a thought. Anyway, I was able to record what was said in that gymnasium meeting. Uh, As far as I know, I've never heard anybody else come up with a recording. So I might have the only one. So uh, let's... Yeah, so if you want to play that recording, I can uh, can play that for you. Again, as far as I know, this is the first time it's ever been shared. And I think uh, words from inside a cult. I think it's very interesting. (laughs) And I think it does definitely speak to my mental state at the time uh, that I planned ahead to take my iPod with me to the gymnasium and to sneakily put it down by my side so nobody could see what I was doing and hit record because we all knew there was going to be an announcement that day. And I planned ahead to make a recording. And so I think so this is what, yeah. that says something about where my brain was. Yeah, so this is what the inside of the cult sounds like. Well, could make all of us look very poorly. 
you have to say something, again, I wish you wouldn't, but if you feel like you have to, they may ask you, do you think this judgment was fair? I would say something like, it's not for me to judge. That's what the legal authorities are for. They may ask you, what do you think about a certain individual? What do you think about this? You need to be very, very careful with what you say. And realize that when you speak, you don't speak as you, you speak as us. And when you say something as a Hiles Anderson College student, you represent everybody in here you're looking at. And so it's very important that you be very careful with your words. Uh, be very careful with your spirit. This kind of situation, uh, you know, it, it's very disappointing. It's very sad to all of us. But it doesn't end here. Right, right. And one of the great things I think, one of the good things I think about this is that God allowed it to come to a swift closure. It's very typical. Brother Hooker knows this. He worked in, as a detective for a number of years. These things typically drag out for a very long time. But God in His mercy saw fit to allow this to come to a conclusion in a period of weeks, 45 days, I think. Um, that's good for us. It's good for our church. It's good for all, everybody involved, I think. And so let's be, let's be mindful of that. Then let me say this finally. Be good to everybody. I said in our staff meeting this morning, and none of you would know this, but... We used to listen to the radio broadcast. It's at 8.45 when Brother Hiles was in town. Usually it was on Monday morning before he'd head to the airport or on Thursday or Friday when he was back in town. But he always ended his radio broadcast with the same statement. Every every broadcast. Be good to everybody because everybody's having a tough time. Yeah. Some of you are very close to Brother Scott. Some of you came here as a result of his ministry and his influence in your life. It was pastor school or maybe... He was your pastor. And you may be handling this very, very tough, maybe very tough on you personally. Some of you may have a different opinion altogether, but the fact is, everybody hurts, everybody feels, everybody thinks differently. I'd like to ask you, especially in a situation like that, that you show a lot of grace to everybody. Give people a break. Give people the benefit of the doubt. Don't judge their opinion, their feelings, their thoughts about it in any way. Let everybody handle it however they feel like they ought to. And be good to each other. Then let me ask you to do this finally. I, I'm sure you have, but especially now. This is going to be a very difficult day for the Scott family. I'd like for you to make sure you lift them up in prayer. Mrs. Scott, I can't imagine what today's like for her. Brother Ken, Jacqueline, and all the family, I'd like for you to probably lift them up more than maybe you have in recent days and weeks. Um, this has been a tough, tough situation. God is the only one who can bring good and glory out of it, and we need to ask Him to do just that. I say all this this morning. I, I don't want to say the chapel. I don't want to say it at any time, just to be honest with you, because I don't want this to affect your spirit, but I do want you to hear it from me. I don't want you to hear it and have to read it somewhere, and I feel it's important you hear it from me. We love you, young people. We're thrilled that you're here. 
amazing to me what God wants to do here. And I see great potential and great opportunity for all of you. But don't allow this to be a thing that discourages or dissuades. But let it be something that God uses to spring you forth with greater purpose, greater passion, and greater commitment for the cause of Christ. Realizing how valuable that each and every one of you young people are for His kingdom and for His cause. I want you to have a great day today. I want you to be mindful of one another and especially prayerful of the Scott family. Enjoy this week. We're very glad for it. And let's be good to each other. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to be here today at this good place. Lord, thank you for these great young people. Lord, and everybody that's gathered here to help make sure this is a good day. And God, I pray that you be with those most affected today. God, would you be kind to them? Or would you show them mercy, grace, and strength? Lord, help our college. Help our church. And Lord, may you use this in a most unusual way to get glory and honor as only you can. And Lord, would you help us to just be good for each other? We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you don't mind me saying, and here's what I'm noticing, is that there is a lot of language about don't say anything that could reflect badly on us. Be kind, be forgiving. God is blessing all of us, you know, all of this stuff. Like not once is there any reference to A, what Scop did, B, that Scop committed an act that was worthy of punishment. Mm hmm. I mean, they would even go out of their way to say, you may not think that it's fair that he has to go to jail for this, but it's out of our hands now, which to me is even almost a thing that you would say, like, if you're mitigating the heinousness of what this man has done. It was not discussed. Like, what he actually did was never discussed in any kind of explicit terms. Uh, the only way that I found out what actually happened was through news articles and and researching like mm. only when I was like I would go off campus, so I wasn't on campus Wi-Fi because it was all blocked on campus Wi-Fi. Like I would go off campus and download news articles, and then go back to campus and like put my phone on airplane mode so they wouldn't like so they'd be still up on my phone and and go read the articles. Like that's how I found out about this stuff. Or people who had data plans who would <laughs> download stuff and pass it around. Wow. It was not discussed from the administration in any kind of explicit terms. Uh, you might hear if they had to talk about it you might hear a quote inappropriate relationship with a minor uh i never recall hearing terms like rape or abuse and uh, there were definitely has as far as uh mitigating what he was saying like you may not think it's fair that he has to go to jail for this there were hiles anderson students that thought he was innocent and thought he was the victim of a setup how on earth would he be the victim of a setup like he decided to counsel a 16 year old child alone against the rules. Mm -hmm. He decided to have a progressively inappropriate relationship with said girl, raped the girl, took her across state lines and did the same thing in multiple different states, making this a federal crime. And he took pictures. Did he learn nothing from David Hiles? Literally everything that he did was his decision and every possible i mean yeah oh my god yeah like how how would you possibly think that he was the victim of a setup well remember how angry i was when i heard the news 
Like, I was willing to call my own father a liar to protect Scott before I calmed down and thought more clearly. These students, these people are doing the same thing. And there were many more students who believed Scott's side of the story. So, so when Scott, so when this finally, so what happened is, um, Scott was, was presented a plea deal, uh, for, so that announcement that you heard, they referenced, like, he's going to probably be arrested today. That was Scott showing up at the, at the courthouse for the terms to make the terms of his plea deal to like submit his plea bargain thing. Sorry, I don't know the correct legal terms. I haven't watched Law and Order in a minute. But no, he went to the courthouse to present his his deal that the prosecutor had given him. And then they immediately took him into custody from there. Wow, but, yeah. So when Scott makes his side of the story, uh, and I, all of these legal documents are in the show notes um, for people who want to look at them and, and go deeper into this. Yeah, there's they're very no way we could, Well, there's no way we could cover all of this. Um, no, there's so much. But in, in his side of the story, Scott says that he was ill with uh, chronic and acute prostate prostatitis. Prostatitis? I guess an inflamed prostate. That's what he said, yeah. And then near zero lithium levels in his blood. Okay. Uh, and then he also makes some kind of vague, uh, which is interesting because I don't think he claims any kind of stomach issues in this, although that's what he always said he had from the pulpit. I don't know. I didn't abuse her. I was sick. That's what Scott said. He, the, the stress of his job and his physical illness led him to make bad decisions, which he shouldn't be held accountable for. That sounds like the Twinkie defense. Well, remember, this is Scott who has to raise $7 million a year for missionaries or our missionaries in China will die. Uh, you know, this is Scott. Like, he's begging for all this money. He's got the church massively in debt uh, in the middle of a recession. The college is in trouble. Like, all of this. He's pissed off half the Baptist in the world. So, basically, he says, like, oh, I'm so stressed that it's made me sick. And I'm so sick that I'm not responsible for my own decisions. Um, he also said, and this is from the defense sentencing defense sentencing memorandum that his work in the community and the many people he had helped showed that he was not a bad person and therefore he should get off easy for this crime uh by the way does the the laundry list of people he'd helped also sound familiar to you so did he also produce a list of 50 points the prosecution made and then declared this is an untruth in his closing statement uh no but I had that sentencing memorandum as well as many other court documents linked in the show notes. And I think someone who reads them and then reads the biblical evangelist response by Scott's father-in-law, I think you'll see some similarities of context and phrasing, shall we say. With the amount of evidence against him, Scott takes a plea deal. So what it boils down to is the victim was literally days over the age of consent in Indiana. Uh, But... Since Scop was a trusted leader and not a peer, that weights it a little differently. Apparently, there's not actually a law against that in, in Indiana, uh, or wasn't at the time. I think the law has since changed due to some advocacy from uh, victims' groups, uh, which is great. But since Scop transported the victim over state lines for the purpose of sex and she was under 18 at the time, what they actually got him was uh, what they actually got him on was the Man Act. So technically, Scop isn't in jail for rape. He's in jail for human trafficking. So mm. he should be in jail for rape as well. But unfortunately, the law didn't allow that at the time because he waited literally probably hours after she turned 17. Okay. So Scott takes a plea deal for the statutory minimum of 10 years. 
in exchange for his secretary and other staff members who actually physically transported the victim in their cars going free because the staff members and Scott both uphold that they did not know that he was actually having sex with the victim. Uh, so, so so he like tries to make himself the victim again because he's like, oh, see, I'm taking the jail time. So my secretary walks. Yeah. So I've got to ask, since Scob's very public indictment and conviction, have any other young women come forward and also named him as an abuser? Because I know that's very often the case. Not that I know of, weirdly. Um, there was one uh, one adult woman who came forward. Uh, she spoke to Jerry Kafitz, who has been mentioned a few times. She spoke to him. He and his wife uh, have been counseling her. And when he counsels her, his wife is present because he's not an idiot. Yeah. <laughs> Jerry Kafitz, not an idiot. Here to hear. hear. So this this adult woman, though, came forward and said that Scop was inappropriate with her in marriage counseling sessions. So remember when Jack Hiles was asking his future daughter-in-law, Paula, uh, very gross and intimate questions about whether she and his son had kissed and like what they were getting up to. So what Scott did with this unnamed woman was it was like that, but like much more sexual. So he's like, well, are you doing this for your husband? Well, are you are you are you taking care of your husband that way? Why don't you show me? So like that's the kind of excuse me. That's the kind of shit he's pulling and counseling. Creepy. Yeah. Nasty. There's also a very prevalent rumor uh, that several years before the actual crimes that he committed, Scott had a consensual affair with a married woman in the church. According to this story, uh, Cindy found out about this affair and he told her flat out that he loved this woman and he was refusing to end the affair. And Cindy and the church staff had no choice but to sweep it under the rug. And you know, I like to be careful about saying things that are strictly unproven. This particular rumor is so prevalent and I found it in so many unrelated places that although I have not found proof yet, I have not found the name of the supposed affair partner. Uh, I'm, I'm willing to to say... Well, this is a rumor. And if you think back to Cindy's outburst in early 2012 in the Christian womanhood class, before Scott even started counseling the victim, you have to think that something brought that on. But there was there anything to suggest that Scott was an abuser of girls that are below the age of 18? Like, was there something to suggest that he was, like, potentially grooming young women? Oh, grooming? Sure. I mean, not more than other creepy IFB pastors, but I mean, I interacted with Scott quite a bit as a minor. Uh, my family was not exceptionally well connected, but like he knew my first name and who my dad was, and he came and spoke at our church a, a time or two. Yeah, like, he was always friendly with me. He always made like very intense eye contacts when he spoke to me, like complimented me, and acted very interested in what I was saying. And I think some of that is probably grooming behavior, uh, but it's not that out of the ordinary for how many IFB pastors treat teenage girls. So I didn't have the perspective then to tell you now what level of weird that was, if that makes sense. Um, I do know of girls that I went to Hiles Anderson with that had his personal cell phone number. Uh, these young women would have been over 18 at the time that I knew them and knew that they had his personal cell. I have no way of knowing whether something fishy was going on there or not. I don't know. That's That smells fishy to me. Yeah. I agree that it smells fishy, but I am not going to say anything further because I don't know. Yeah. So th uh, so all this happens in like 2012, 2013. Mm -hmm. And Scoffson is what, like 10 years long? Yeah. 120 he's, he's months is what he's sentenced to. So 10 years. Uh, his current release date is set for April 20th, uh, 2023. 
But Scop has uh, still managed to make waves from behind bars a few times. How so? Well, in 2014, uh, Scop wrote a letter to the judge asking for his sentence to be reduced. Uh, he claimed that the victim was, quote, sexually aggressive with him. And he demonized her for having prior sexual experience and demonized her for having used alcohol and cannabis in the past. Shocking. I'm sure that went over well. Yeah, this got slapped down pretty quickly. Um, the judge actually tried to add an additional two years onto his sentence just for being a jerk. Uh, I, I think that ended up not legally. We all thought that was going to go through. But now that I look at the actual sentencing date, I don't think that actually went through. But the judge tried to give him two more years for it. Yeah. Wow. I mean, that's that's not undeserving. <laughs> no. uh, but this this isn't the last time that Jack Scott tried to get out of jail early. It certainly isn't. So it turns out that Scott has not had a good experience trying to keep the rules in jail, which is so ironic because of how hard he preached about students following Hiles Anderson rules. Um, Pour one out for my boy. Anyway, uh, Scott lost privileges in jail for sending a letter out with instructions to send it back in. Um, Not sure why that's against the rules, but he did get in trouble for that. I guess because of smuggling, probably. Yeah, I imagine so. I I don't know what he was trying to do there. He claimed he didn't know it was against the rules. You know, the same way that he claimed that he was sick and that's why he accidentally raped somebody. Maybe he was trying to trade some Marlboro Reds to his cellmates for like ramen and Rice Krispie treats. <laughs> yeah, that's probably which is what I assume people do in jail. I mean, I think that's what people do in jail. Or Reese's Cups. Ugh, you know, that makes me think. And like, I hope that prison food is at least as bad as Hiles Anderson dining hall food. You know, I hope that it isn't because incarcerated people are human too. And they deserve ethical treatment. And cruel and unusual punishment is banned by our constitution. They should be given healthy food to assist with their rehabilitation and reassimilation into society. You know what? Let me let me uh, rephrase that, if you will. I hope Jack Scopp's prison food is as bad as Hiles Anderson dining hall food. Incarcerated people are people who who uh, hopefully are able to be rehabilitated. Uh, Scopp is a monster, and I hope his food is as nasty as the mystery meat sludge that i ate in the hiles anderson dining hall maybe they'll give him nothing but ambrosia for (laughs) just oh that's great um send him to the boats but instead of honey ambrosia ambrosia and mountain dew (laughs) mountain moo okay um so a few months later after the letter incident whatever the heck that was uh scott had Scott had a female visitor and decided to grope her during visitation. So he lost phone privileges and he lost privileges for like six months because of that. Interestingly enough, I am about 80 to 85% sure that this female visitor was not his wife. How on brand. Quite. He just. Uh, and that's another like. Can never get enough. I have a source for that information. I can't name my source for that information at this time. Uh, but uh, the the word on the street is that Scott had some girlfriend, like you know, one of those like you know those women who like marry serial killers in jail. Oh like, yeah, one of those. who write letters. Oh yeah, that's uh, funny. the word on the street is that Scott had one of those. It comes from a good source, like Millhouse's dad. Yeah. So uh, after this incident, Cindy divorces him and goes on to live her best life too. Which I say, you go, girl. 
P.S. Cindy, if you ever come across this podcast, we would love to have you on as a guest. Um, I think that your your insight might be very insightful. I mean, I agree. And uh, and I have recently found out that she's working on a book, which is it's actually completed. It's in pre-publishing. Uh, if that's if that's uh, accurate, we would certainly be down to have her do an interview. Uh, and as excited as I am for the book, though, more than that, I just want her and Scott's victim to have a peaceful rest of their lives. Speaking of Cindy, um, during my research for this episode, I did come across a statement that she made at a different church following Scott's arrest, mm-hmm. which I'm not going to play on here, but I'll link it to uh, in the show notes, where she says something along the lines of, I just want to be me. I don't want to be defined by who my father is or, uh, or who my husband is. I'm my mm-hmm. own person. And I think that sentiment is really admirable, especially because like if you're raised in a group that doesn't really like to treat women like independent thinking and like living and breathing beings. I I mean, I just want to go back to Scott trying to get out of prison, though, because in the year of our Lord 2020, Scott did, as I understand it, try to get out of prison once again. Yes. So 2020, uh, what have we had? We've had a pandemic, wildfires, natural disasters, murder hornets. And of course, this year had to include Jack Scott with another sob story. What is it this time? So Scott presented a request for early release because of COVID. We've linked this letter as well, where Scott just like, just whines. Uh, It's just pathetic. He whines about his divorce. He's like, my wife has left me. And I'm like, no shit, Sherlock. Anyway, um, you had sex with a 17 year old, and so your wife left you. You destroyed her father's ministry and her good name and her life's work, and you lost her house and left her penniless, and she left you. Oh my gosh, I'm so surprised. So Scott just like whines about my wife has left me and he talks about like what a good boy he's been in jail. And he the reason he wants out is that he says his aging parents have no one to take care of them during COVID. By the way, in this letter, Scott says that he has been presiding over communion for the Protestant inmates and having like religious services for Protestant inmates in jail. Uh, If that's true, that could possibly mean that First Baptist Church of Hammond has not stripped him of his ordination. Which would not at all be surprising, given literally everything that is evident about this organization. (laughs) Yeah. For the life of me, I do not understand how they're somehow tax exempt and they molest people all the time. Yet, I still have to pay taxes and I don't have so much as like a parking ticket. It is things like this that should make even people who are religious consider whether churches should be tax exempt or if we should at least... Maybe have more common sense regulations for churches to show where their money goes, as in not towards rapists if they want to be tax exempt. Planes for rapists. Then- I still have my pet theory, though, that someone who is currently on staff at Hiles Anderson or First Baptist Church listens to this podcast just to keep track of like what we're saying. And if I'm correct, y'all need to get a check on whether Scott is still ordained through your organization and probably also check on Dave Hiles while you're at it. Okay, thanks. Of course, what I'm getting at here is that Jack Scop is not the only person who wrote a letter to that judge. Zadie. Oh, he's not. No, that's, no, he's not. <laughs> that's correct. Uh, when I heard that Scop was trying to get out of jail again, uh, I just felt like I had to say something. 
Would you say that possibly the Lord was calling on you to make your voice heard? Yes. God put it on my heart to say (laughs) something about this. Uh, So I tracked down the email address of the presiding judge, Googled how to write a letter to a judge, and used a couple days of my quarantine time to write up a fairly long letter with my thoughts on Scott getting out of jail early. Then I took a deep breath and edited the letter down as much as I could, got it all the way down to two pages, and I emailed it to the judge. And I didn't think any further of it, just hoped the judge would see it. Uh, A few months later... I realized that if you write a letter to a judge about an ongoing legal decision, your letter gets posted in the court docket for that decision. Which means um, Scop's getting out of jail early case is not officially decided yet, but it has been moved to a different judge. That means my letter's in the court docket. That means the new judge will see it. And this also means that when Scop gets out, if he ever requests every court document in his name, my letter will be going into his hands which feels pretty damn powerful. So would you like to read your letter out loud here on the podcast, just so that everybody listening can hear exactly what Jack Scott will hear when he eventually is no longer incarcerated? Sure. Here's here's what I had to say. Honorable Judge Springman, I am writing to you in regards for the petition for compassionate release made by Jack Allen Scott. As you know from his letter, Mr. Scott was the pastor of First Baptist Church of Hammond, Indiana, until shortly before his incarceration. At the time of his arrest and incarceration, I was attending First Baptist Church of Hammond and a student at Hiles Anderson College, the Bible college affiliated with that church. As you also know, Mr. Scott was incarcerated because of an inappropriate relationship with a minor child who was over the age of consent in Indiana, but not in Michigan, where he trafficked her in order to have sexual relations. As you consider Mr. Scott's request, I would like you to consider these facts. While independent Baptist churches have no head or denominational oversight, they tend to congregate in major groups, often by which Bible college the pastor of a particular church attended. Perhaps the largest of these groups is those pastors who attended Hiles Anderson College. Reporter Sarah Smith wrote an excellent series of articles for the Fort Worth Star-Telegram in which she details hundreds of sexual assault allegations against pastors in independent Baptist churches. As someone who grew up in that religious movement, as sheltered as I was, I still heard stories constantly of another pastor who had fallen into sin almost always a euphemism for sexual misbehavior, very often involving minor children. These pastors are rarely prosecuted for their actions, and it is only in the last decade or so, thanks in part to the courageous work of people like Joy Evans Ryder, that even a percentage of their victims see justice. Mr. Scott's incarceration was the first arrest and incarceration of someone who would be considered a major leader in that group in my lifetime. It was a catalyst for dozens, if not hundreds, of victims to speak up about what they had experienced. It was a world-shaking moment for those of us who were in that group, those who had suffered similar abuse, and those of us who were on our way out. He is now requesting that he be compassionately released from the remaining 33 to 37% of his sentence that he may care for his aging parents. While I have sympathy for his plight and that of his parents, I feel that to release him before he has completed his sentence would be grossly unjust. Mr. Scott shows no remorse in his letter to you, no sign that he deeply regrets his crime, only signs that he regrets being caught. He brags about the godly works that he has done in prison without expressing regret over the actions that put him in prison. He even claims that he did not know what he did broke the law in an attempt to diminish his evil actions. He bemoans that his wife divorced him as if he is looking for sympathy without acknowledging that she divorced him after he committed adultery against her, committed a crime, lost his job, dragged her name and her family through the mud and left an irreparable black mark on her father's life work in one fell swoop. He mentions that his sister is not able to care for his parents, but leaves out his two adult children in consideration of who could care for them. He also conveniently does not mention the possibility of hiring a carer for his parents. 
I have no personal knowledge of his financials, but he always claimed from the pulpit that both of his parents were successful and independently wealthy and that his book sales generated income. He does not mention whether his parents' church would be able to help with care, although he always preached that a local church should help those in need. It is unfortunate that Mr. Scop is not able to care for his parents during this time, and it is surely tragic to confront the reality that he may not be able to visit them before their deaths. However, he committed a crime and was convicted. The consequences of imprisonment often have real-world consequences for those who are incarcerated. People who are incarcerated miss the births of their children. People who are incarcerated miss weddings, funerals, birthdays, and all the other rituals that make life sweet for those of us who are not incarcerated. His situation is pitiable, but missing life events, even crucial ones, is an essential part of the punishment for those who are punished by incarceration. I urge you, if you have not already, to review the picture of the child with whom Scott was involved and consider whether he should be treated as any pedophile. While most people do not know her name, I found it out during my last semester at Hiles Anderson because I was friends with some of her classmates from First Baptist Church-affiliated schools. To most people who know of this case, even to those who it affected very deeply, she is only a nameless, faceless girl due to laws that protect her privacy. I have seen pictures of her taken just before this horrible abuse of his power began. She was almost 17, but she appears much younger. I believe this to be proof that Jack Scop, at least at one time, was truly a pedophile and should be treated as such. In summary, I feel that 12 years is already only barely acceptable for the crime he has committed. I am not without sympathy for his parents, but I am respectfully asking that, out of respect to his victim and the many victims of IFB pastors nationwide, you deny Mr. Scop's request for early release and require him to serve his full sentence of 144 months. Thank you for your time in reviewing my concerns. Respectfully yours. Signed, me. Wow. That's a, that's a, that's a letter. So I, for one, I, for one, would like to extend my congratulations to you on your success in protecting the public from keeping a remorseless and dangerous criminal behind bars. I think that you deserve quite a bit of thanks for that one. So if I may. I appreciate that. Thank you. Yeah. So at the time of recording, um, there has not been a final decision on the early release because it was uh, transferred to another judge. The judge who originally sentenced Scott passed away and there hasn't been a new permanent judge assigned to him. But the government and the district attorney's recommendation is that he not be released early. Uh, So it does not look like he is getting out before 2023. Hopefully just in time for him to be karate kicked in the throat by a giraffe. Yeah. (laughs) So based on his language in his early release letter, he seems to imply that he will pursue ministry work after his release. And I just want to say right now that if he ever tries to step behind a pulpit again, I will be there in every legal way to try to make that not happen. Uh, I will picket any place that he tries to speak in a religious context. Uh, I will take a bullhorn and read the nasty notes that he wrote to that poor girl. Uh, I, whatever I am able to do within the bounds of the law, I really feel this man is going to try to pull a Dave on all of us. And I promise whether I can stop it or not, I will not be silent for that. And so if you're going to be there in every legal way, I promise that I will be there in every illegal way. (laughs) (laughs) Like, honestly, I think- I kid, I kid. (laughs) I think it would make such good, like, Patreon content if we live stream the two of us and maybe some fans- uh, picketing his first sermon out of jail. Like we can make signs. We can play unapproved music with a boombox. Oh yeah, that sounds fun. Listeners are joining. P.S. <laughs> if you are listening to this, you shouldn't 
shouldn't put powdered mashed potatoes on the lawn of any member of the First Baptist Church of Hammond leadership or put old fish in the ducting of the church. Please don't. Yeah, don't a, do that. Yeah, don't do it would be a bad idea and I strongly condemn anybody who does that. <laughs> and you should not under any circumstance mail human and or animal urine and feces to the address 473 Sibley Street, Hammond, Indiana. Four six three two zero. Do not do not pull. Do, do not send them anything nasty. No. Um. Don't and, send and them I, the, the bag of dicks. You know the the little gummies. Don't do that. No. No. Don't send them like pride flags. <laughs> I mean, if you're gonna send them a bag of dicks, make sure that you send them the one uh, because those those are candy, right? You yeah, can, they're you gummies. But if you do that, make sure that you send them the sugar-free ones. Sugar-free ones, yes. Um, While we're on the topic, I hear that um, cut-up straws and also rubber bands are things that you should definitely never put in the yard of anybody like First Baptist Church of Hammond leadership or in the yard of Jack Scop uh, when he gets out of prison and has to register his address publicly because he has to register as a sex offender. Uh, that's just, just a, uh, for an idea of another thing that you should absolutely not do. Please don't do that. Yeah, I, actually, for real, though, don't use plastic straws because single use plastics are destroying the environment. Jack Scop is destroying the environment. <laughs> True that. And just to let everybody know, I have no plans to pull any sorts of, of pranks or, 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 or vandalism or sabotage. If everything that I said in the previous part was was a joke i'm joking um Mm -hmm. i have i have no plans to do that and if you decide to do any of that stuff uh we claim no responsibility we have officially asked you not to do any of those things we have officially asked you not to to do any of that yeah um um, but uh, i do officially ask you if you find out uh when jack scop is preaching or speaking for the first time out of prison uh, i do officially ask you to email me uh, and maybe donate towards a plane ticket uh, so that I can legally protest that event. Yeah, that'd For be sure. great. Uh, yeah. Um, anyway. So uh, I so who's in charge of the... Uh, Jack Scott's in jail. Yep. He goes to jail in uh, 2013. 2012, 2013, he's in jail. Mm-hmm. Who's in charge of the First Baptist Church of Hammond now? Some of the, like, the core staff members stayed, uh, but a new pastor was hired from California. His name is John Wilkerson. He's kind of um aggressively fine, if that makes sense. Like he talks like Mr. Rogers. So he's not like a firebrand, but he's also not a molester. Sure. Uh, he's very much the anti-scop in my opinion. Like he went to Hiles Anderson and he has kind of built himself a reputation for helping churches get through scandals. The First Baptist Church of Hammond has never recovered. As far as I know, pre-COVID, they had about half the attendance that they did in 2011. Hiles Anderson has dwindled down to a couple hundred students, the lowest attendance that they've had like since maybe the first year that they were open. My prediction, and my prediction and my hope, is that Hiles Anderson will be closed permanently before my child is old enough to attend. Uh, I think it'll happen long before that. You know what we should do? We should buy Hiles Anderson College and turn it into something that they'd hate. <laughs> you know, I turned my Hiles Anderson t-shirt into a halter top 
So I am definitely in favor of a little uh, renovation. Yeah. By the time the mold and roaches are done with the place, we can probably pick it up for about 80 shekels. <laughs> I mean, I have so many good ideas for things that would go well in that building. Uh, but my my family listens to the show, so I'm not going to say them. <laughs> you know what we could do? We could melt down the statue of Jack Hiles and turn it into like a six sculpture, like a giant cheese grater to commemorate the six pounds of mozzarella cheese from the lasagna that I never got, but still desire. <laughs> But then you got you went and got pregnant, and I assume that you ate all of the cheese. No, I got pregnant, and cheese grossed me out for a really long time because I couldn't eat anything but like fruits and vegetables. I was like, so it went moldy. That's well. I mean, there's still a block of it in my freezer. I could technically okay. still make you lasagna. You you could still yeah. But as far as the Heil statue, um, I really feel like it should be melted down and turned into a golden calf because that's pretty much what it is anyway. So this brings me to kind of my final thoughts in this whole ordeal here, uh, talking about the golden calf, is that this whole story here, this is a warning to us all, because as charismatic as Jack Hiles was, as charismatic as Jack Scoff was, they were human. And as humans, we do have a sort of bizarre tendency towards idolatry. Um, and I'm not talking about like idolatry as far as like sacrificing rabbits to the sun gods in order to bring a bountiful harvest. I'm talking about idolatry as in treating our fellow humans as if they were more than human, like as if they were gods. And we don't just do this with like religious figures. We do this with like celebrities, actors, musicians, politicians, anybody who we find to be influential. We build them up as, as being superhuman. We strive for direction. We strive to find a leader. And while Hiles and Scop would probably have told you that God is the leader or Jesus is the leader, in practice, not in words, but in practice, they both operated as if their words, their desires, their needs, their lives were above the lives of everybody else. And this manifested itself in different ways. And it shows itself in the way that they treated other people. So in episode one of this series, I spoke about Heil's personal need to replicate himself and to put his name on something concrete so that he would in a way live forever. And I have a sort of theory that I've been working on a bit for, you know, why he would need to do this. Please. Theories are great. Those, so people whose legacy to the people close to them, like their friends, their family, their colleagues, those whose legacy to those close to them is, say, less than positive, often have a pathological need to correct this drought throughout culture as a whole to, in a sense, write their own obituary to, you know, write a legacy that will last lifetimes that will... But that, that, that's never going to replace the legacy that they chose themselves to forsake by acting in a manner detrimental to their friends and their family and their acquaintances and colleagues. So in short, the need to be a great man superseded the need to be good, the need to be kind, the need to be just, the need to be honest, and to be anything other than self-aggrandizing, to be so discontented with the finality of death even in oppositions to their own words and teaching through which everlasting life would be granted. You see what I'm saying? Yeah, like they their their need to make this legacy. 
Yeah, even though, even though, like you know, they're Christian pastors that say, uh, "Well, through Jesus, you know, you can live forever," but they still need to live forever on Earth. Aside from all that, like, and it's not that's about, what I'm talking yeah, about. Yeah, and like they they realize that within the system of the IFB, you don't build a legacy by being a good man. No, because I have known a few people that I consider to be truly good people within the IFB, and those people have much less legacy than people like Scott and Hiles. Us as a people, our need to follow a man or a woman or any kind of human leader should never come before our need to follow ourselves and do what is right for us. So this story is essentially the story of a legacy of a man who learned to separate people from their own needs and their own identity and then replaced it with one of his own making. Your identity is sacred to you. And it should never, ever need altering. Anybody telling you otherwise is lying to you or wants to use you to their own ends. If you feel the need to alter your own identity in order to fit into a mold that somebody else has made, think about everything that you are willing to give up in order to gain external prizes. You need to surround yourself with people who accept you for who you are now. In this moment, not who you could become, not what you could do for them, who you are now. Because if somebody can alter your identity, they can abuse you in every other imaginable way because you have already given up what is most sacred. And they know that you will not resist further because otherwise your most consequential sacrifice that you could ever possibly make will have been for nothing. And the fear of that regret is enough to keep you chained. And this is not something that just happens within religious groups. Um, Well, think about all the people who are just sponges for the likes, dislikes and hobbies of their romantic partners. You know, they get they get a boyfriend or girlfriend who is super into disc golf and all of a sudden they're super into disc golf. and, 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 you know, the minute they break up with them, they never do it again. Right. And, and like bands. Perfect and, example. Yeah. Like this is this is something like selling out your identity or being dependent on other people to give you an identity because you've never discovered your own. This is a thing that happens to people in all sorts of areas of life. We just happen to have a great example right now of it happening in religion. So this is something that everybody should should be aware of. This maybe speaks to why I saved the audio recording of the announcement that was made to the Hiles Anderson student body for all these years like eight years or whatever it's been. I had no idea then. The things that I would learn between then and now or how different my thoughts would be on all of this. But I just knew in my heart, and I, have, I don't know how I knew. I have no idea what I was thinking on that day. I knew I had to record it. I knew I had to save it. And now, like when we hear that and when the whole world can hear it, I think it's so obvious the administration and the staff are asking Hiles Anderson students to give up their individual identity in favor of a group identity. Like what they're saying is literally, you don't speak for yourself, you speak for us. And that's, is that possibly why I kept it? Is that why it's stuck, like, you know, yeah. stuck with me so hard? It just never felt right and always felt weird. Is that why I kept that recording for so many years? Just so I could remember what the inside of a cult sounds like. Yeah. And, you know, just to say, I think, you know, as much as being raised in a cult is a huge part of your identity, like you don't have any choice about that. I don't think that I would really be able to be friends with you if that was the only piece of your personality. Like 
we became friends because we, you know, we were both interested in music and I thought you were like a nice and interesting person. I like, I didn't even know the details of your upbringing. So I think that it's really vital for people to develop themselves, their personalities outside of a things that happen to them and be outside of what other people expect or think, or, you know, what other people think they should be like. So when I first with the first year or two that I was out of the IFB, it was my personality because I didn't, I didn't know anything else. The only way that I could cope with the, the just complete loss of identity uh, when I left uh, was to make it my identity that I had left because I just, I had no way of coping. And I just, wow. I was completely lost in this world that I found myself in because I had not ever lived in this world before. But over time, obviously, that be- that became inappropriate. Yeah, so you didn't know who you were. I had literally no idea. I felt like a person devoid of personality. I felt like a person devoid of likes and dislikes. I felt like an empty shell uh, because some other people had taken over who I was for so long. But that became inappropriate over time because, yeah, sure, I could still live like that. This could still be my whole personality. I don't know. The cult took the the cult took that away from me, but I I it is not my path for me to live in that forever. It's my path for me to build the person that I always should have been from the beginning. Hard as that is, it's the right thing and I am making my making my own personality, making myself a life. And I think that's a really common feeling that when people leave a cult uh, or an abusive relationship or a job that's abusive of like time abuse in a job, you know, where you're expected to do all this extra stuff off the clock. You can hear this said by people like that, or even people who were prisoners of war, tortured. You can hear this said by people who were kidnapped and like held for years that they felt like an empty shell. And I think it's one of the bravest things a person can do, no matter what situation they're coming from, to be willing to break away, be willing to lose it all and be willing to build themselves back up piece by piece. What's most ironic here, in my view, what's most ironic is that, you know, the recording that you made, you talk about, like, this is pretty monumental that you made this recording. When this happened, they were telling people this stuff about how you need to have, like, a solid wall of silence about these issues. This was, But this was also a catalyst for you when you were beginning to decide for yourself, when you were beginning to think for yourself about what you thought about these things. And this was the very start of when you were having the thoughts that would snowball into your decision to get out. Yeah, I think it shows that somewhere deep inside, I was thinking critically. I know that I do remember I was not pleased with being told not to talk to the press. Journalism and freedom of the press are important to me personally. And I hated the idea that I should have to self-censor to talk to the people who are supposed to be trustworthy, impartial reporters of truth. So I kept hoping that uh, that one of these reporters would talk to me so that I could ask, you know, give them a fake name and and say what was really on my mind. And, and eventually I did learn, like I, I learned what it meant to have my own ide- identity like not to be the baby that Jack Hiles held and not to be the girl who got to go to steak and shake with Jack Scobb and not to be a Hiles Anderson student and not to just be a cult survivor, but to be myself and to learn what being myself really, really means. And we all applaud you for that uh, journey that you have had to make. Um, it's not been an easy one, but you are here now and you are 
a whole and real person. And that's wonderful. I mean, I think what it is, it's the, uh, it's the fact that I get to choose. Yeah, it sucks that I don't. So I, I mentioned something like this on the Rush podcast. Uh, it, it's disappointing to me that, I, that I, there are no bands that I've enjoyed for 15 years. And a lot of the bands that I really love, uh, I didn't get to see them live until towards the end of their career. And I didn't get to see these like early shows that would have been so fun. But I get to choose any music that I want. And I'm an adult and I have money, you know, pre-COVID, but I have I have money to go to concerts and I have a partner who really enjoys going to concerts with me. You know, I try to look at it as a as a positive because if there's any band that I'm into, you know, I well, I'm an adult. I can afford merch if I want it. I can uh, buy records and listen to, the, to them on my awesome turntable. You know, I try to I try to turn these things into positives because I do get to choose and it's actually uh, I get to enjoy my freedom of choice a lot. That's marvelous. In the second part of this Jack Hile story, um, I spoke a, a bit about the idea of sexual violence as currency. I, I want to transition a little bit back. I spoke about this idea that if you became successful in this cult and if you gained stature in this ministry, that the opportunity to sexually abuse women and teenage and younger girls became a sort of included perk, a sort of quote-unquote, expected reward for your many years of devotion. And we touched on this again in the David Hiles story, and I brought it up last week with Jack Scott, having effectively turned the First Baptist Church of Hammond into a place where sexual abuse was enabled, uh, to being a place where sexual abuse became perpetrated as a part of the religious doctrine. These are seeds that were planted by Jack Hiles. The fruit was harvested by Jack Scott, and... While everyone, or at least everyone should be against Jack Scop, the number of people who will still back Jack Hiles and who will still view him as a sort of venerable figure is high. But in this instance, I would personally argue that he is almost as guilty as his son-in-law. And you're saying that because he built the system. Yes, he built <laughs> he built this system. And he he, you know, he built the system and installed the people who abused it uh worse than he did so i just want to say that if you are listening to this podcast and you are a member of the ifb or maybe curious about what it's like on the outside i don't care if you are 16 years old or 60 years old if you are listening to this um if you've gotten this far and listening to our podcast i just want to say to you that there is still time for you to figure out what your identity is outside of this group. Your life is a beautiful and a sacred thing, and you are an individual human soul who was made to be multifaceted and complex, not to be melted down and cast in a mold and to be heated and to be beaten and folded into becoming a tool for somebody else to use. I am not telling anybody to turn away from God. I am not telling anybody to turn away from Christianity. I am not telling anybody to turn away from religion. I am telling you to turn towards yourself and to explore what you are and who you are as a person outside of what other people want from you. And this doesn't have to be something that you do externally that you know, you have to show off that you're doing to show off that you're being rebellious. This can just be something that you can think about inside your mind and 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 keep within yourself. I mean, I think we've all heard um, stuff like let Jesus mold you into who he wants you to be. 
IFP preachers in particular are big fans of this terminology of giving everything to God and making God your identity. But I, I would like to point out that even speaking to people who are believers, um, you should maybe consider that God already made you who he wants you to be. God already gave you the basic traits that you were supposed to have. You just need to you need to grow them and refine them to make yourself the best version of yourself. I think giving everything to God, I think it's really code for giving everything to the church or the college or the pastor speaking. And maybe you should consider that God has given you your life. God has given you your choices and that it is still possible to bring glory to God by simply living your life. If you have unique dreams and desires and plans, did God not give those unique aspects to you? And does it not bring glory to God to live the unique life that only you can live? Yeah, when we talk about freedom of choice, we're, of course, we're talking about the freedom to to follow religion or not to, to choose a religion to follow. But even within the confines of religion, even if you still find that being a Christian is right for you, or even that being a Baptist is right for you, your uniqueness is something that is given by God. Uh, it is, uh, we think that it is against God for you to deny the uniqueness that you have been given. I think that, I think that God is bigger and more powerful than that. And I think that you as a person are bigger and more powerful than to have your uniqueness sucked up into somebody else. And with that, I think that we're going to end this episode. And with ending this episode, we are ending this five-part series on the first family of fundamentalism. <sighs> so that's, yeah, next, that's it. So there's not going to be a homework episode this week, uh, but next week we're going to be back and that there's going to be a homework episode then. Um, I want to thank you guys all for listening. Um, we know it's been a wild ride and we're like, and, and we are so pleased that so many of you guys are here with us. You can follow this podcast on uh, social media, on Instagram and uh, Facebook. It's leaving Eden podcast on Twitter. It is at leaving Eden pod. Uh, you can send us an email at leaving Eden pod at gmail.com. Uh, my name is Gavriel Hako and you can find me on Instagram, Twitter, uh, Facebook at G-A-V-R-I-E-L-H-A-C-O-H-E-N Sadie You can find me on Instagram at Sadie Carpenter Music uh, or on Twitter at Hell Yeah Sadie All right and uh, yeah this has been the Leaving Eden Podcast I want to thank you guys all for listening Um, have a nice day bye bye sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. 
That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.